Welcome to The Paleo View. I'm bestselling author and co-creator of realeverything.com, Stacey Toth. I focus on being healthy inside and out through real life, food, and talk. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, New York Times bestselling author and creator of thepaleomom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics. I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. Welcome back, Paleo View listeners. And hello, Sarah. Hello, Stacy. We're we're both sick. <sighs> let's let's just be upfront. All right, we've got things that have not changed since last you talked to us. We're yeah. we're both got this Fleetwood Mac cover band thing going on. And there are things that have changed since like last time. Like maybe the addition of a puppy to someone's household. Small thing. Small thing. That's not a small thing. She's adorable. Well, she she is a small thing, but definitely puppy ownership is not a small thing. <laughs> <laughs> and she'll be here for you guys and you visit in a couple of weeks. I'm so excited. I was showing Mira a picture and she, by the way, totally votes for the name Evie. Mm, yeah. Um, but- and I, all, all children who have ever played Pokemon voted for that name, but we went with a different name. Uh, well, her, her big rationale was because she's black, then she could evolve into Umbreon as she grew. <laughs> so I just told her like, someday we'll get a dog. Not, not soon, but like maybe in a few years and then all of the naming fun can begin. So what did you end up naming her? She's very pig-like. She is a eight-week-old Boston Terrier for those listeners that have not yet seen her on social media. And she snorts and snores <laughs> a lot. And so we wanted to name her something that was reminiscent of a pig. Um, so we went with Penelope and we're calling her Penny. Have you ever seen the movie Ew. with Christina Ricci um, where she has a, she's like royalty with a pig nose and her name is Penelope in the movie. I don't think so. It's a pretty cute movie for you and listeners who haven't seen it. Um, All right. But anyway, her name in the movie, the, the name of the movie is Penelope and Christina Ricci has a pig nose and it's like the classic, I got to kiss the prince in order to get my nose fixed fairy tale um, with a twist kind of thing. So anyway, um, I hope the twist is like, love yourself as you are. Don't judge a book by its cover. I cannot give out spoilers, but I would think that that would be the kind of movie I would like. (laughs) (laughs) Got it. it. Um, But yeah, anyway, so I, I, I just thought that was a great name and I've always loved the name Penny. It was like one of the names that I wanted to, that I was reserving in the event that I ever had some female child. That was, that was a hysterical dream I had Uh, (laughs) long, long ago when I thought that, um, I had married someone other than my husband, but <clears throat> anyway, so Penny, Penny is her name. She's teeny tiny little nugget um, and is just like a newborn. The boys have been taking turns having nighttime shift with her. And let me just tell you, I've been getting a lot of questions from parents about 
you know, my five-year-old wants a puppy, is it the right time? And Sarah, you and I actually talked about this, when is the right time for a family? And I'm really glad that we waited until the kids were older because they are able to be responsible and to truly take care of her. Cole is 13 and Finn will turn 11 in three months. Um, And Wesley is eight. And the difference between how Cole and Finn are able to take care of the puppy and how Wesley thinks the puppy needs to be taken care of (laughs) are night and day. So that's just my own personal experience. I think obviously if you have mature children, particularly females are more responsible than males usually at that age. Like maybe (laughs) it's different in your household. But for me, um, this was definitely the right choice to wait. And um, there were some requirements that our kids had to do. Cole made honor roll in school, for example, to show responsibility. Um, So different things like that, that we did as a family to consider um, something like this. So obviously she just like showed up in social media and people were like, what? Um, But there's more to it than that. And I would definitely (laughs) encourage all families to really think before making like a big change in your life, like a puppy. Um, Although she did come pretty quickly like it happened once the decision was made it happened pretty quickly but um it's been something that kids have been asking for for years so yeah I have uh one kid who really really wants a puppy and another one who doesn't um but I want a dog but I I I keep telling my husband like at some point I'm going to just get a dog and you're not going to have a choice in the matter and he looks at me with his eyebrows raised like he's not he's not excited about it but he's already resigned to it and, uh, and, but I've just wait, I'm waiting for like a period of time where I'm not traveling so much because I, well, I grew up with dogs. My husband didn't, and my kids have never owned a dog. So I'm like, I, I need to train both a dog and I need to train my family to be dog owners. <laughs> and I don't want it to be, well, it's your dog. So I, I'm just sort of like waiting for that quiet year where I'm like, okay, you know, I'm done whatever book tour and I'm not going to go again for a while and I can skip a conference or whatever this year so that we can really take that time to focus on, you know, I think, I think especially with, um, pets that first year, they're so, their personalities are still quite moldable, right. And, and you end up setting yourself up for whether or not you have a, you know, well-behaved social pet for their lifetime a lot within that first well, year or two even. And so I, I really want to make sure that the time is right. And it's it's not right now, but puppy is on my long-term wish list. It's, it's good to be considering all those things is all I will say. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And I think for us too, going into the holiday season when we knew I'll be home more so that there's, you know, uh, the whole family is around and it's not just Matt's responsibility because Matt is the person in this scenario who um, is not necessarily a dog person by nature. And so having him be the one that's home all day with the dog wasn't really fair. Um, So we we are going to figure it out as the family. Everybody is doing great. Penny is adorable and really snuggly and Matt as I'm sure all of our listeners know, loves babies. Like if there's one thing that you need to know about my husband, it's that he loves children and babies. Like he's just so amazing with babies and toddlers. Like he, I don't know, he's got like the magic touch. And so 
a baby dog is a thing for him. It's cute to see him with the puppy <laughs> and they're snuggling and they're having a good time. So, um, yeah, we have for now, everybody trying to keep track, three cats, one three-legged lizard and a dog. <laughs> And everybody's cohabitating fine. A long ways away from a menagerie. You know, I'm working on that football team. (laughs) (laughs) I'm three boys, which are uh, beasts in and of themselves. So, anyway, we do have a show this week. So maybe I should stop Mm. talking about my uh, football team of a home and jump into it. How How are you doing? What are we What are we doing this week? Well, this week, I'm really excited to actually really start talking about some of the really exciting new information that I have learned writing my gut microbiome book. And I'm wrapping it up. I I won't be ready to like really announce the like existence of this book probably for another month or two in the sense of it's called this and it's available for pre-order here and it's going to be released on this date. Uh, One of the wonderful things that Victory Belt Publishing and I have learned over the last four books is it is best to make all of those decisions after the first draft is completed. And it's nearing there, but I'm at this phase of book writing where um, because the microbiome studies are, they're really spread out over different research labs, tackling it from different perspectives. And I have a strong suspicion that there's probably nine or 10 different subfields represented. And within those subfields, like researchers are not talking to researchers in other subfields. And so it's been actually a really interesting experience to kind of collate all of that information and put it into a package of like, here's what's actionable. This book is not going to be a paleo book. Um, I've really tried to like, I just uh, like, I'm I'm shedding that dogma and I'm looking at the science of what is, you know, good for the microbiome and what is not. Um, Although the like end result looks a whole lot like paleo, but it's been fascinating because there's been a lot of surprises for me. Um, Superfoods from a gut microbiome perspective that, you know, they're, they're paleo foods, but they just... They're not emphasized the way the gut microbiome research suggests they should be emphasized. And so I wanted to, you know, as as I'm wrapping up this book, start talking about some of this really cool information that I've been uncovering on the podcast because this is such a great forum for that kind of discussion. And I wanted to start with olive oil. And uh, this became very synergistic because this episode is sponsored by the Fresh Pressed Olive Oil Club. And the reason why we reached out to the Fresh Pressed Olive Oil Club, uh, beyond the fact that their olive oil is amazing, is the synergy between them as a sponsor and talking about olive oil's benefits beyond the like, you know, we can review some of the well-established sort of Mediterranean diet benefits that are heart health really, kind of yeah yeah that are really mediated through olive oil consumption but i i want to share some of this like really cool exciting information that i don't like I, it's it's i just think it's fascinating to me that olive oil could be as good for the microbiome as fish oil and that it actually has the capacity to potentially reverse some of the damage to the microbiome that's caused by other diet and lifestyle choices. Like th- that to me is so fascinating. So that is what we're going to talk about today. I'm excited because olive oil is one of the fats that does not, 
upset my digestion. So I'm always um, happy to be validated by what my body is telling me. And I'm <laughs> <laughs> looking forward to learning because this will be all new for me as well. But um, what was also new for me was the Fresh 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 pressed olive oil club, um, which turns out is kind of like a subscription box that you get to your house and you get to try different kinds of olive oils that are all a hundred percent pure and virgin and the highest grade and all that kind of stuff. But you get exposed to all these different varieties of, of olive oil and what their tastes are so that if you're into tasting that high flavor on salads, like this would be a great gift for my father because he what he asks for Christmas from me every year is high end olive oil and balsamic vinegar because he likes that mm. plain on his salad, um, and so like something like that would be fantastic for him. And he's not even paleo, um, but it's also great for us because it means less for you to shop and worry about. It's also a good value um, when you look at how much you're getting versus how much you're paying each month and all that kind of stuff. So I was super excited about learning about this option. And then also um, that Fresh Pressed Olive Oil Club is offering you listeners a deal, um, $1 for a $39 bottle of olive oil if you sign up for the membership, which evidently, Sarah, this is how you got hooked to begin with. Yeah, I actually have been a member of the Fresh Pressed Olive Oil Club for a couple of years. And um, I get a box every quarter with three different bottles of olive oil in them. And what is what I love about the Fresh Pressed Olive Oil Club. Um, I don't love that it's actually a really hard thing to say out loud. I don't think I've ever tried saying Fresh Pressed totally. Olive Oil Club. Well, and it doesn't help that we've got this um, <laughs> no. situation like, happening in our, totally in our heads. Tripping, tripping over the words there. So it's just we Fresh Pressed Club. Uh, but, but what I love about them is I don't think I've ever received a repeat bottle. Every bottle has been different. Um, and that's it's kind of like um, like if someone told you that like, all Merlots taste the same. And if you're a wine person, you would get very indignant about that. It, it's like that, but olive oil. Like every bottle has a different quality to it, but they're all like top quality olive oils. They're all 100% pure. They're super high polyphenol content, which we'll get in, into why that's important as we dive into like the health benefits of olive oil. And um, it's almost like you can do an olive oil tasting, which... I do actually like this is one of my tips for people to to detect high quality olive oil. A really high quality olive oil will give you a coughing fit because it's so peppery due to the polyphenol content at the back of your throat after testing it. But once you kind of have done this a few times and you can kind of get over that like initial uh, coughing fit response, it's a wonderful way to really appreciate the nuance in the flavor of, of olive oils. And so I, I love that the Fresh Pressed Olive Oil Club is like the 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 guy who started it, his name is TJ Robinson. And he he really like he travels all over the world and visits these small family farms and like he and he'll what he'll do is he'll buy an entire harvest from a small, you know, they're all award winning artisanal, right? The recipe that's generations old from all over the place. And, um, and he, like he geeks out over it and then we get to share the amazing things that he has found, but because the quality of your olive oil is, uh, critical 
for like all of the health benefits we're going to talk about, it's all, it's all only applies to high quality olive oil, which is not what you can get in the average grocery store. And so this is also a way that just makes it easy, right? It's, it's like, ah, like, here's the thing that I can trust. And I get my ex and he's, I think there's different levels of subscription. Also, it's, um, they're like, they're, guarantee is like really good. So you can always, if you don't like an olive oil, you can return it for a refund. Um, but I do want to sort of emphasize for our listeners. Um, I think there's a, a limited number of, um, of like the $1 bottles that people can get. So definitely whenever you're listening to this, like hop on, um, to fresh pressed olive oil.com forward slash the paleo view and like go grab go grab the offer, but do know that you will be automatically enrolled in the club. You can cancel before you get your first box. So if you try the olive oil and you're like, meh, or I've got, I've got this other one that I like more. I mean, I, that was not my experience, but if that is your experience, um, you can, you have time to like cancel your membership after getting that $1 bottle. But do know that like the shtick is, for a $1 bottle, you, you will get automatically enrolled in the olive oil club. So do, do be aware of that. I, I, I think it's an amazing offer, but I do want to make sure that we have like full transparency with like, what's the catch? The catch is you're auto enrolled. You can cancel it and you will get like an email notification a few days before the first shipment. Um, so if you like forget to cancel it, you kind of get that email reminder as well. So, so just to repeat in case Sarah's, talking voice is hard for you. <laughs> I will try the tongue tie fresh pressed olive oil.com slash the paleo view for your $1 deal to get your first bottle. If you want to sign up for that membership, but what people are here for Sarah, what we want to know, it's been a while since we just had you dive really deep <laughs> into some geeky science and my voice is looking forward to a break. So tell us, why is olive oil so amazing? And what I want to know are some of the practical stuff, which you and I talked about. And I know that we're going to dive into different things like, well, how can you tell the difference between mm -hmm. the stuff that's cut with junk at the grocery store versus the health benefit version that you're going to talk about, all that kind of stuff. And how do we cook with it? What's the best way to eat it? All that kind of stuff. You're going you're gonna to give us the deets, right? Well, yeah. Are you just, you're just like hoping to be muted for the next half hour while yep. I just rattle on? That's, Excellent. that's, that's the goal. <laughs> I'll just give you all my questions up front. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, let me get into it. And then when I forget a question, you can remind me about it later. Uh, so olive oils are, uh, they're very, very unique in terms of their fatty acid composition. So olive oil is up to about 83% oleic acid, which is this really special omega-9 monounsaturated fatty acid. And a lot of the, especially the cardiovascular health benefits of olive oil are mediated through its oleic acid content. So oleic acid is a very, very special health-promoting fatty acid, but that's not the only thing in a high-quality olive oil that is directly linked with health benefits. So olive oil is also extremely high in vitamin E, especially like vitamin E is actually eight different vitamins. So the one that is particularly rich in olive oil is alpha tocopherol, which is basically like 
the most important form of vitamin E from a health perspective. And then it has at least 30 different phenolic compounds, which are a you know, type of phytochemical that is a very, very important antioxidant, anti-inflammatory. It actually has potentially some anti-tumor effects. So these uh, phenolic compounds are also really, really essential for the health benefits of olive oil. Um, and it's actually these phenolic compounds that is the biggest difference between a cheap olive oil and a high quality extra virgin olive oil. So we'll, we'll talk about that as well. But olive oil, I mean, if you, if you were to ask, right, uh, nutrition scientists and various diet advocates, like across the, the spectrum, you know, there's probably two things that every single one of them can agree on. One is the health benefits of olive oil, and the other is the health benefits of eating a lot of vegetables. Like those are the two least controversial sort of healthy foods to eat that, um, you know, a vegan or plant-based diet advocate can agree on, a paleo advocate can agree on, the USDA can agree on. And there's tons and tons of scientific evidence pointing to high olive oil consumption being linked with lower risk of various, you know, you know, cancer, cardiovascular disease, uh, potentially even Alzheimer's. Um, so high olive oil consumption is, is very strongly linked to disease. And there's actually um, researchers who think that the, the Mediterranean diet, which is fairly well studied in the scientific literature now, um, you know, it has some, some keys, right? So it's, it's high vegetable, it's whole foods based, um, it's a lot of seafood in the Mediterranean diet, um, and it also includes a lot of olive oil. And there are certainly some researchers who think that this high intake of olive oil is actually the most important aspect of a Mediterranean diet that's linked with health benefits. So olive oil, you know, as I said, in part because of the oleic acid content and in part because of uh, the antioxidant phenolic compounds – has been linked to a variety of health benefits. So for example, there's studies showing that it can lower markers of inflammation, just consuming, you know, olive oil on a, you know, the studies look at, you know, a couple tablespoons of olive oil as a supplement every day for a few weeks, and you can measure reductions in C-reactive protein. And this has even been translated into autoimmune disease, for example, in rheumatoid arthritis, uh, increasing olive oil consumption can help reduce joint pain and swelling. Um, and um, what's interesting is fish oil has also been shown to do that, but the olive oil and fish oil effects are additive. So olive oil and fish oil together can be very, very helpful for remediating symptoms of arthritis. Um, there's evidence that at least in... Can I just ask a quick question? So yeah. it's we're talking about... My, um gut microbiome evidently it's mm -hmm. just a tongue twister of a show uh but it's also when i hear you say that for like joint pain i would think reducing inflammation and helping yeah. from that perspective as well right so there's direct impacts of olive oil and the phenolic compounds in olive oil on the immune system and then there's effects uh direct effects on vascular health and then there's effects that are mediated through the microbiome. So uh, what's, that's what's actually really important to emphasize through olive oil is – so some effects are direct in terms of, um, you know, it's, it's how the oleic acid in the cell membrane of, of a cell changes the health of that cell and changes the membrane dynamics of that cell, which is really important for immune function and for vascular function. So some of it is like directly that effect. Some of it is directly the antioxidant, anti-inflammatory effects of the phenolic compounds. And then also olive oil 
increases microbial diversity in the microbiome and supports the growth of specific, very important probiotic strains. And then they also right, make, they, they will make other compounds that do things like reduce inflammation, improve gut barrier health, um, lower LDL cholesterol. That's a really common benefit of certain types of bacteria. So there's basically the like direct effect and indirect and they compound. So that's, what's really cool about olive oil is that it, the mechanisms of how it benefits our health is, so diverse that it basically means that whatever your starting point is, you will see a benefit from increasing olive oil consumption. Because even if you already have like a fantastic microbiome, you're, you're going to see this benefit through the direct effects. Or let's say you already have fairly low inflammation and immune system that regulates itself very well, but your microbiome could, you know, use improving and increased biodiversity, you'll see the effects mediated through the microbiome effects. So that is one of the things that is really important to sort of emphasize is because all of these effects are mediated through multiple mechanisms, it actually strengthens the effect and makes it more broadly applicable. So actually in terms of olive oil's anti-inflammatory effects, it really seems to be mediated through both the oleic acid content, and also the phenolic compounds. There's one a phenolic compound, I, I'm going to attempt to pronounce this, but I don't know if I'm pronouncing it quite correctly, oleocanthal. And it actually works through a very similar mechanism to ibuprofen, affecting the uh, cyclooxygenase pathways. So that actually reduces inflammation. And part of the like blood thinning effect is also through that pathway. And it actually basically is sort of like it triggers the same pathways as an ibuprofen. So taking uh, like three tablespoons-ish of extra virgin olive oil is about a tenth, the, you know, a tenth of the adult dose of ibuprofen. But it becomes like very similar to a baby aspirin in that, that type of dose. And so it may be that this is one of the main reasons that olive oil consumption is linked to lower cardiovascular disease rates, uh, lower stroke rates, for example. So like increasing olive oil consumption can lower blood pressure, it can lower LDL or sort of the bad cholesterol. Uh, it basically improves blood vessel health. It lowers risk of stroke. It may even actually help uh, lower the the plaque formation in early Alzheimer's. So there's more research needed for sure before you can sort of definitively say that olive oil reduces risk of Alzheimer's. But there's some early evidence showing that that might be the case. Um, and actually, this is the thing that I think is so cool. So there are a lot of studies linking high-fat diets to weight gain. And that's in part mediated through... Uh, you know, like those studies look at typical Western diet fats, usually. So the fats that you would get in fast food, right? We know that there's a lot of problems with that. But high fat diets also, as we're going to get into, cause changes in the gut microbiome that are also linked with obesity. So our, our gut bacteria actually produce a lot of compounds that regulate our metabolism. And when you have the right kinds of bacteria, 
you have a healthy, robust, right, high metabolism. If you have the wrong kinds of bacteria, it reduces metabolism. Our gut bacteria also directly impact our hunger hormones, so they can make us hungrier and crave more foods. And so there is like a distinct, what's called an obesity microbiome. It's a very distinct microbiome. And there's all of these studies showing that high fat consumption leads to an obesity microbiome, except when that fat is fish oil or olive oil, and it completely changes the equation. And so in humans, there's all of these studies showing that olive oil doesn't actually increase the likelihood of weight gain. It may even aid weight loss. So there are some studies showing that olive oil-rich diets can be linked um, with lower, you know, with weight loss. So if you take obese people and put them on a Mediterranean style diet with a lot of olive oil, they tend to lose weight. There's also links with improved blood sugar regulation and improved insulin sensitivity with olive oil. Um, Studies, again, showing that high olive oil consumption, this is usually done in the context of Mediterranean diet, can reduce diabetes risk. So it, it really is a fat that has very, very diverse beneficial properties. And again, some of these are mediated directly, but some of these are mediated on the, on the, like, through its effects on the microbiome. And this is the stuff that made me want to cover olive oil in this podcast because I think, you know, you can see all these other studies showing that olive oil, right, reduces risk of cardiovascular disease, right? It's, it, it has these other benefits. But when you're following a diet, like the paleo diet by itself has been shown in clinical trials to reduce all those same cardiovascular disease uh, risk factors. So paleo diet by itself uh, reduces LDL cholesterol, increases HDL um, cholesterol, the good cholesterol, lowers blood pressure, right? It lowers C-reactive protein. So the impetus to increase olive oil consumption or to use more olive oil, especially when there are so many websites out there that will tell you like, never cook with olive oil, it should be only used for dressings, right? All of those, we're going to bust those myths in a second. But there's there, that amount of information by itself is maybe enough to have olive oil in the kitchen, but maybe not enough to be like, yeah, olive oil should be my main fat. But I think that as you dig into the olive oil microbiome research, suddenly I think there's a very strong argument for olive oil being a primary, at least high quality olive oil, being a primary cooking fat in a home. There's different benefits to different fats. Um, So I definitely like mixing it up, but I can tell you that since I've been doing this research, olive oil has become my primary cooking fat uh, in addition to addressing fat because this information is so exciting. Almost all of it comes from the last three years. So this is really, really new information. There's a variety of animal studies looking at uh, different types of fat. So high fat diets, which typically cause this obesity microbiome, and then looking at whether or not it matters what type of fat it is. And so there's these are really important studies. They're very, very relevant to human health. This is Uh, one of the key ways that gut microbiome research is performed. And what's fascinating is when you sort of look at uh, like the high fiber diet versus the high sugar diet, right? So high fiber diet is the control of a good diet. High sugar diet is the control of a bad diet. And what happens is in these high fat diets, if it is something like palm oil or safflower oil or butter oil, 
you see this shift in the microbiome towards reduced diversity. Um, that's really important because a diverse microbiome is the number one feature of a healthy microbiome. The more strains you have, the better. So diversity is incredibly important for a healthy microbiome. So these high-fat diets reduce diversity, and then there are key types of bacteria, so key probiotic bacteria that you'll see a reduction of, and key bacteria that are associated with health problems. They're not pathogenic bacteria per se, so they're not bacteria that would necessarily make you sick, but we know that these bacteria are linked with things like increased cancer rates, increased cardiovascular disease, they're linked with obesity and diabetes, and in large part that's because they produce chemicals in the gut that literally they change our gene expression. So our gut bacteria are one of the most important epigenetic controls. Uh, so they're literally turning genes on and off, um, which impact uh, in our, how our immune system works. They're impacting neurotransmitters. They're making our gut barrier more or less leaky. They're impacting liver metabolism, detoxification, um, how our body processes fat. They're impacting hunger. Our, our gut bacteria are literally like the controllers turning on and off switches. And that's why gut microbiome is basically having a healthy microbiome is a prerequisite to being healthy. Like you, you cannot be healthy and have a dysfunctional microbiome. You have to fix your microbiome in order to be healthy. And it's because these gut bacteria kind of collectively, there's a lot of crosstalk between them, a lot of cooperation between different strains they collectively impact just about every system in the human body. So we see this shift towards undesirable strains of bacteria and this reduction in key probiotic strains. Like if you, <laughs> like I'm, I'm, as I'm writing um, my gut microbiome book, lactobacillus and bifidobacterium, which are two a genus. So there's 30, nine, I think, species of bifidobacterium and over 100 species of lactobacillus that have been identified. And these are the most important probiotic species. That's why you see them in, um, in, in supplements, right? That's the typical probiotic supplement. The value of probiotics with lactobacillus and bifidobacterium is quite up for debate, which we will cover in a, a future episode of the podcast. But uh, they are they are key vitamin producers. Uh, butyrate, which is a really important short chain fatty acid, they're key butyrate producers. They make all these metabolites that basically turn on all of the like healthy signals, right? So they're turning on all the healthy genes, and they're doing things like making huge amounts of vitamin B6 for us. Like 80 some odd percent of our vitamin B6 is made by these probiotic strains of bacteria. And they're very, very sensitive to our diet and to our lifestyle. So they they go down when we're sedentary, when we are not getting enough sleep, when we're stressed. They go down when we eat high-fat diets, when we don't eat enough vegetables or enough fiber. And so getting into the nuances of like what's the best thing to eat to support these probiotics is really fascinating to me. That's a large focus of my book. And it turns out that different types of fat impact their growth pretty dramatically, olive oil being basically the second best type of fat for supporting bifidobacterium and lactobacillus and microbial diversity in the gut. And in fact, there are studies that look at high-fat diets 
in in rodents and look at either uh, palm oil or safflower or canola or butter and compare it to olive oil. And olive oil can nearly completely reverse the undesirable changes in the microbiome that are caused by these other fats. So with olive oil as the fat, you don't see the same shift towards an obesity microbiome or a sick person's microbiome, which is fascinating. So our, our gut bacteria love olive oil. I said it's the second best. The top best is fish oil. The reason why I wanted to focus on olive oil is because fish oil is not an awesome cooking fat. Um, it's not very uh, stable in heat. It has a very, very strong fishy smell, which is not particularly wonderful for most cooking applications. Whereas olive oil has a fairly neutral flavor, even a you know, estate, super olivey olive oil is still a flavor that that works with most foods, that works in most applications. So even though it's the second best fat for the microbiome, it its status as the second best fat for the microbiome makes it the best fat to add to our meals, um, either by using it for cooking or using it for dressing or food. Fish oil is still really important, but our best source of fish oil is just eating more seafood. So the, the changes in the gut microbiome are, are really, really impressive. Most of the research has been done in rodents, which, as I said, is actually extremely relevant. These are models of the human microbiome in rodents. But there are some human studies that do verify that these effects are happening in humans. And here's where the quality part comes in. Because refined olive oil doesn't do this. Extra virgin olive oil does. And if you have a phenolic compound enriched olive oil, so there are studies where they take extra virgin olive oil and they add even more phenolic compounds, which really mimics this like super top quality, super high um, phenolic compound uh, olive oil that we would be getting from something like the Fresh Pressed Olive Oil Club. That's even better. So the basically the, the phytochemical content of olive oil is really, really key in mediating the microbiome benefits of olive oil. It's probably not the fact that it's high in oleic acid. It's probably the fact that olive oil has this very unique composition in the sense that it's super, super high in antioxidants. Um, uh, phenolic compounds are actually really, really important mediators of microbiome composition. It's one of the reasons why fresh vegetables and fruit are so important for the gut microbiome. It's not just that they're high in fiber. It's also because they're really, really high in phytochemicals. And our gut bacteria love, love, love phytochemicals. And a lot of the benefits that we get are from our gut bacteria taking those phytochemicals, basically eating them and pooping out slightly different versions of those phytochemicals and those modified versions of those phytochemicals are what are anti-inflammatory, antioxidant in our body. So a lot of phytochemicals are actually only beneficial to our health once they have been processed by our gut bacteria. So they have a really important um, role in our health by supporting the growth of probiotic bacteria and because they uh, sort of become these metabolic byproducts of these good bacteria that then have all these effects on our health. So the these you know thirty some odd phenolic antioxidants that are in olive oil 
seem to be the key in terms of the benefits to the microbiome, reversing that obesity microbiome from high fat, com- uh, high fat consumption, and also directly mediating some of the benefits, at least in terms of things like LDL cholesterol and, and blood pressure and markers of inflammation. And it seems to be because olive oil um, basically corrects the problems associated with a high fat diet in the microbiome and also supports the growth of these really important probiotic bacteria, bifidobacterium and lactobacillus, and supports increased microbial diversity, which is really, really important. So all of those things together, like to me, that was one of the most exciting discoveries. And it's right, it's not just a single paper here or there. There is a collection of papers that have pitted uh, extra virgin olive oil versus refined olive oil versus different other kinds of fats and and really getting into the nitty-gritty detail. There are papers that go into the, the genus level of bacteria looking at shifts. And it's to me, it's just fascinating because there's also a variety of other sort of lesser-known probiotic bacteria that are also increased by olive oil consumption, like Marispirillum mucilaginobacter. I like, I can't even pronounce these. They, they're also increased. So it's, it's, um, it's fascinating to me because I wasn't expecting it. I wasn't expecting there to be a fat other than fish oil, right? The omega threes is very, very well established to be important for microbiome. I wasn't expecting there to be a non-omega-3 fatty acid that was uh, almost equally as beneficial for the microbiome, but here it is, olive oil. And you cannot say any of these statements about any other vegetable oil, although I have not seen any papers that have looked at avocado oil. So that's that's like the one exception. I haven't seen that. Um, And avocado oil does have a similar composition. But these studies in olive oil to me is is phenomenally exciting. There was kind of an aha moment for me too when you were talking about the microbiome needing carbohydrate, i.e. fiber, what whatever the case may be, in order to thrive in your gut. Yeah. And that with a super high fat diet, you're limiting the amount that can be alive and that there would be fats that they could thrive with also blew my mind. Like even, even fish oil wouldn't be something that I would think would be okay in that environment. You know what I'm like that olive oil and fish oil both contribute to that. And I like that you also um, called out avocado oil as not being contributed um, in this category because that's the other one that my body does really well with. Um, Coconut oil, however, which you recommended as being a fat that my body not having a gallbladder would do well with is not something that sits well with me. It's, I don't know, it's just too heavy. So Um, interestingly, the um, coconut oil fat has very complicated effects on the microbiome. It's not cut and dried. It's, you can't, it's not sort of black and white, right? So olive oil and fish oil, it's very black and white. It's totally beneficial. Um, As as I said, I, I haven't seen any papers that have looked at avocado oil and and the microbiome. Um, Granted, it's on my list of things to still, you know, like see if I can dig up something. I haven't seen anything yet. Um, But I have done research into coconut oil and it, that one is, it's complicated. There's other benefits to coconut oil, but it's high saturated fat 
content, even though it's medium train triglycerides, does not appear to be the best thing for the microbiome. So really interestingly, our gut bacteria do not like high fat diets in general. And they really don't like high saturated fat. So keeping saturated fat levels more moderate, 10 to 15% of total calories, is also really important for the microbiome. And that just really resonates with me because that's essentially what I find is the balance that I need to not have digestive upset without that additional bile that everybody else gets from having a gallbladder. So I think that um, is consistent with my N equals one as I describe what happens to me as an everybody out, (laughs) which would (laughs) affect your microbiome to lose a significant amount of what's going on in there. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So uh, un- a bacterial <laughs> undergrowth yes. is a common consequence of let's call it high transit at a fast transit time. There, there she is. <laughs> There's the uncomfortableness I was looking for. <laughs> well, I, and So I will say that when I focus on healthy fats, i.e. olive oil, avocado oil, butter works okay for me, lard works okay for me, but like you said, saturated fat, it needs to be in a moderated amount. Like I just can't sit down and eat a plate of bacon for breakfast. It's too too much for me. Um, When I focus on those fats in the quantities and ratios that I need to with fiber and other things. And keeping in mind breakfast is essentially, um, is especially sensitive and all that kind of stuff. My transit time, as you would call it, um, is fine. And I think, you know, doing experiments on someone like me, I mean, obviously I'm not the only person in the world that doesn't have a gallbladder, but I think when you look at the digestive process and how if you no longer have the supplemental things that the body builds in to help digestion, i.e., um, in my case, a gallbladder to store extra bile to help when your body needs it, it it speaks volumes to what your body processes really easily versus not, right? So it makes sense to me that those sort of things would affect microbiome and your gut digestive process is really all one thing tied together if you're paying close enough attention, because if you have a lot of fast transit times, as you call it, um, that's obviously going to negatively affect. And that's essentially what did happen to me when I was on a very low carb version of paleo and I was eating high fat diet for a long period of time. And what you described is a lot of, and I've had these moments on the show before, and I'm like, gosh, I wish I would have known all this, you know, but there's so much information. Um, and I also had great things that were happening to me that I felt good about. And so I was ignoring digestion, um, because I'd had such problems with digestion for so long. I didn't know what good digestion looks like, but I love that you're pulling so much of this information out for people and into a book that people can focus on and refer to about this kind of thing because it did not exist for me at the time that I needed to think about removing my gallbladder. Obviously I wasn't even paleo at that time. Like I didn't understand what I was, the decisions that I was making. Um, 
And by the time it was diseased and I had to take it out, but then also there was nothing for me to figure out afterwards. Like, oh, I don't have a gallbladder. How do I ease back into good digestion? How do I build a healthy um, microbiome and all that kind of stuff? So I'm excited that you're doing a deep dive into this because I know that this is also a huge indicator of health and that you're finding all different kinds of science that point to when you get this balance right, it helps your health in all these other aspects. Yeah, this has been the uh, steepest learning curve writing this book. I've, I, w- I would say I'm learning more writing this book than I did in my PhD. Like it has been the most amazing experience. Um, and I mean, sometimes like completely overwhelming. But I think one of the things that's been so cool is I have come to view human health as completely mediated through the microbiome. The AIP, I think the reason why it works is because of its effect on the microbiome. Um, because when you when you like distill best practices, it basically turns into the AIP. There's there's like a second level of foods that are also really good for the microbiome that have problems from an immune health perspective that I think if you were to take all of this information and like create a diet based out of it, it would basically be like paleo plus gluten-free oats and a super high focus on olive oil and tea and coffee, chocolate and mushrooms and cruciferous vegetables, right? Like it's, there's, there's these certain foods that sort of come out again and again and again as being additionally beneficial and so it's been a really, really interesting experience for me to get into it. And this is this olive oil information is some of I think the most relevant to you know our listeners because we have this fear of olive oil as a as a cooking fat. We've done this whole switch into you know tallow and lard and and ghee as our cooking fats because they have higher smoke points. But actually, studies have looked at olive oil. And actually shown that it is remarkably stable under heat exposure. Uh, One study showed that it took 24 hours of frying olive oil before it created enough sort of oxidized fats to be considered harmful. There was another study that looked at heating olive oil for 36 hours and showed that it still retained most of its vitamin E content. And this is because the... Uh, phenolic compounds in olive oil help to stabilize the fats. Um, so the fats are have a uh, they're more resistant to oxidation, and this is actually why olive oil is beneficial from a cardiovascular disease risk standpoint. Is because it makes our LDL cholesterol harder to oxidize in our bodies. But we see this even just with with cooking, right? It's, so it's actually very heat resistant. And in fact, a high quality extra virgin olive oil can have a smoke point as high as 410 degrees Fahrenheit, which is hotter than almost every cooking application. It makes it one of the highest smoke point cooking fats, provided it is a high quality, right? Phenolic compound rich extra virgin olive oil. And that's why I was really excited to be able to get sponsorship for this podcast from the Fresh Pest Olive Oil Club, because that's where you get, you know, that's, that's sort of like, to me, it's like the easiest, I love the subscription model. And that is 100% of their bottles meet that criteria for being an olive oil that is super, super rich in all of these beneficial compounds that are going to give us 
the best health benefits and also the most diverse uses in the kitchen. I'm excited that you busted that myth because I think we talked about it. I don't know if we talked about it in the show a long time or what, but, um, I had heard that a long time ago and, um, we cook like when we run out of avocado oil, which is what we usually use to cook with like roasting vegetables, for example, um, we'll substitute in olive oil and we usually roast at 400 and don't have any smoking or issues or anything. And I just was like, you know what? I'm going to go with, (laughs) with what seems right to me, which is kind of how we all, uh, bumble through this journey of, you know, what works or whatever. So I'm glad that, um, you addressed it as well. Cause later on I had researched it and had read even, I, I actually read that even up to 425 was okay as long yeah. as you don't have active smoking. So, yeah. I, I mean, and that's an excellent way to sort of test, you know, like your, your two home tests for a high quality olive oil would be if I throw a little bit on a pan and put it in a 425 degree oven, does it smoke? Do I have to like turn off this, wave a a magazine in front of the smoke detector? Yes or no. Um, And the other one is to taste it. And does it, does it start a coughing fit? So those are like the home tests. Um, But when you're choosing an olive oil, if um, the olive oil, fresh pressed olive oil club does not sound like your jam, um, some basic things to look for um, is a harvest date on the bottle instead of a expiry date or a best buy date. Um, so the fresher an olive oil is actually that the better it is for you. So ideally you would look for a harvest date that was within a year and ideally even more recent than that. Uh, olive oils should always be in a dark glass bottle, not a clear bottle and not a plastic bottle. Um, imported olive oils are more likely to be deceptively labeled. Um, and as I think we alluded to at the beginning of the show, they can even be cut with things like soybean oil, corn oil, canola oil, and it's not on the label. Um, so look for local oils, um, look for, or, I mean, there are overseas companies that are very transparent in their sources of production practices. Often the sort of fancy estate Olive oils um, are the ones that are going to be 100% olive oil. And of course, you know, the Fresh Pressed Olive Oil Club actually tests every single batch of olive oil um, that they uh, bring in for their subscriptions to make sure that it's 100% olive oil. Um, And always make sure that the label says extra virgin, uh, not refined. And, um, And if you do that and you have an olive oil that, you know, has uh, some will even have a polyphenol content written on on the back. Um, if you if you have a high quality olive oil, they're they're perfectly safe to to cook with. And there's so many health benefits to a high quality olive oil. Um, that's why I I go through olive oil probably ten times faster than I do any other cooking oil in my home now. Well, we will be. As soon as Matt listens to this, <laughs> also doing that as well. I think um, I also look forward to hearing once avocado oil is determined because it just sits really well with me and doesn't have the same flavor that a good olive oil has. Because that's my thing is when we're cooking, olive oil has a distinctive 
nature and flavor profile that in savory, in most savory cooking, it's fine. But when you're doing something like mayonnaise, for example, it will impart a flavor. Um, so that's where we lean towards avocado oil. But I think that there are plenty of places where we can use olive oil, especially in the cooking and then the yeah, savory I've foods. I've actually come to use it in my cake recipes almost exclusively as I fat in my cake recipes because it makes a very moist cake with a um, like fairly large crumb. And I think when you're doing sort of grain-free cake recipes, you can end up, they can be almost too fine, right? So they end up being um, kind of heavy and olive oil actually helps retain the air and lightness um, and sort of increase the, the, the crumb size in cakes. So, um, I have recipes that are coming in the gut health book that use olive oil for, for cakes, but I also have some on my website. It has become my like go-to baking oil as well as, I mean, I, I roast vegetables almost exclusively in olive oil. I use it if I'm going to saute something. Um, but yes, I do see your point on the, the mayonnaise, um, I often will use half olive oil and half avocado oil to, to cut the flavor for a mayonnaise. What was that type of oil that you cut the olive oil Avocado. With? No, you said it American. <laughs> I'm trying. I have applied for citizenship and all, so I got to fix my pronunciation now. I think they'll let you in if you say avocado. Even if I say avocado. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And pecan and cilantro and all those other Canadianisms when I nip out to the store. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I hope that this was as interesting and helpful to our listeners as it was to me. And thank you, Sarah, for sharing your science. I want to point out that you just dropped a major knowledge bomb to our listeners. Of course, you're including recipes in your gut microbiome book. Of course I am. You are overachiever extraordinaire and you couldn't just give us information. Do you you know what's really fun about the recipes? I'm going to I'm going to just share this. They are organized by gut health superfood. So there's actually 50 different foods that are highlighted as being super high, you know, the the best foods for your gut microbiome. And then I have between three and five recipes for each of those featured ingredients. And olive oil is one of them. It gets its whole own category in this book. And it's actually the only fat that gets its whole own category in the book, in the recipe section. Bam. Yeah. Drop the mic. Now everybody is going to be like, why did you tease your book and you've given no information? But once there is we've got to egg you on. To give, <laughs> I shall do that. For now, the best information for our listeners is to go to freshpressedoliveoil.com forward slash the paleo view and grab your $39 bottle of super high quality olive oil for only a buck. I see what you did there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again, listeners. And thank you, Sarah. I will see you in a couple of weeks. Like, yeah, you will. A week from when this airs, which is exciting. Um, and we'll probably have something fun for you listeners coming up. We always try to do something when we're together. Um, and there will be lots of puppy pictures, I'm sure. So <laughs> thank you. And we look forward to checking back in with you soon. Hopefully with less obnoxious voices. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. 
Thank you for listening to The Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. We are Allie and Erica, certified integrative nutrition health coaches in gut and hormone health and the hosts of the podcast, Courageous Wellness. We are committed to destigmatizing conversations in the wellness space and celebrate the experiences and lessons of our guests in pursuit of physical, emotional, and spiritual wellness. Listen to Courageous Wellness wherever you get your podcasts with fresh episodes every Wednesday.